there is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. And today, we're going to talk about maybe the hottest topic going in all of leadership circles, and that's about leading with purpose. So belonging to an organization that has purpose doesn't mean that you need to be in the nonprofit sector, nor does it mean that you need to be giving a proportion of your profits to a particular charitable cause. You might be doing that, but those aren't the necessary conditions for creating a sense of purpose within the organization. I'm also going to tell you that it's possible to lead a team or even an entire organization where everyone has a sense of purpose. And what we're going to do today is to talk about some CEOs who have done just that, along with the impact that it's had on their bottom line, on the engagement levels in the organization, and on productivity. And then we're going to turn to focus on how can you lead your team, regardless where you sit in the organization, with a sense of purpose. So with me today, delighted to welcome Aaron Hurst. Aaron is an award-winning entrepreneur and a globally recognized leader in the fields of purpose at work and in social innovation. He's the CEO of Imperative, as well as the founder of the Taproot Foundation, which he's led for a dozen years. Aaron is the author of a book called The Purpose Economy, and he has written for and been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg TV, and he's the author of Fast Company's Purposeful CEO Series. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Wanda. It's a pleasure. It's a really pleasure. And looking forward to this conversation, too, because I think a lot of people are talking about this. Let's start at the top. You've done a lot of groundbreaking work with CEOs, helping them lead through purpose. Tell us a couple of those. What did they do? How did they do it? What happened? Yeah, it's been really fun just talking to uh, CEOs and really exploring what they've done to, you know, to get out of their comfort zone and to really lead with purpose. And a lot of that's about breaking through fear. And finding little tricks they have, because even the best CEOs, you know, regularly face fear, but it's what they do to overcome that fear that really is often what gives them that sense of power, that sense of leadership. You know, some of the people that I've talked to that and worked with that I really uh, admire, uh, one of them is Bill McDermott from SAP, a large global technology company, and he started off in sales, and he, even his approach to sales was all about purpose. It was about how do we make sure that in a group of salespeople, we're all working to try to help support each other instead of turning it into a competitive practice? So one of the things he shared with me that was really powerful is he would actually, at the beginning of each quarter, have everyone on the sales team say, what is it that you would do with the money if you earn your commission? Why do you need that money? So it's no longer just about the money. It's about why, why do you need that money? And people would share you know, paying off debt, finally buying a home, helping their parents with something, making sure they have a cushion. And he'd write these all up on a wall so that everyone could see what the motivation was behind the success of their teammates. Um, and it really changed the dynamic on their team. He also factored in about 20% of their time to say, if you're achieving your quota, um, you need to go help someone else who isn't, and that we don't succeed unless everyone succeeds. And I think he really brought that to the foreground when he became CEO eventually at SAP. And it's interesting with him, and I really could relate to this as I was you know, working with him and talking to him, uh, he really found that moving around, he saw that no one solution works 
um, everywhere, and that you really have to start off with listening and empathy and understanding that you know you need a different script for every single relationship and every single uh, organization that you work with. So that's sort of one example. Uh, Nancy Green's another one that I really enjoyed um, speaking with, who is the CEO of Athleta, which is a uh, a line of athletic sort of yoga, yoga-like gear, mostly for women, I believe, um, if not exclusively for women and men who like to wear women's clothes, I guess. And uh, Nancy, to me, was great because she really thinks about how do you manage to opportunities versus managing to downsides. And I think that's a lot of where purpose comes from is seeing opportunity and trying to figure out how do I create value, whereas I think a lot of leaders actually just manage to downside and to risk. And that really minimizes the degree to which they can actually create value and they create cultures of fear. So I can go on and on about I mean, CEO after CEO that I've had the honor of you know, connecting with. Um, love to, to hear about specific areas that you'd like to just yeah. drill down on given so, your, your audience. Yeah. Let's go back to Bill McDermott and SAP. Yep. And I can tell you quite independently of knowing you, I ran into somebody who's in SAP's organization. Yep. And I know that the entire organization is on this journey of purpose because they were talking to me about it and these were not people in the you know C-suite. So it has yep. filtered down and everybody's engaged with it all the way through. In fact, they were planning an offsite and this was a feature of the offsite that was coming up. So yep. I'm intrigued by this. I want to just go back to this, that Bill McDermott, when he's running the sales organization, has everybody share why they needed their commission. That's a yep. pretty bold thing to do. I can imagine people get kind of cynical about that. Did he find Why any cynicism? Well, you know, uh, I've just spent the week with people who are fairly cynical, so I think it's <laughs> seeping into me as well. Yep. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think I'm going to do with it? I'm going to pay for my kid's school. And so people can just say something obvious without taking it really seriously. So did it take a while for him to get that through the practice? Did he have to stick with it? Did he have people pushing back? How did that work out for him? I mean, from everything that I understand, like that his teams exceeded sort of the sales quotas um, at a much higher level than any other group in the organization at the time. Um, I don't have any way of verifying that, but right. I have no reason to believe that it's not the case. Uh, it sounded to me like there were people who initially may have been a little uncomfortable, sort of more of the self-disclosure. Um, for a lot of people, you know, there's that expression that the two topics that make people most uncomfortable are sex and money, um, and having people actually talk about money um, and what they're going to spend their money on is something that requires a level of vulnerability. Um, but I think that at the core, what it did is it helped people realize that success wasn't just for the sake of success, and that there's actually a reason or a purpose behind that success, and that you actually really wanted the other people on your team to get what it was that they needed. Um, even if it was something as superficial as a new car, um, that it became something real, because so much of what we do in the modern world is we work in abstraction, and being able to pull it into something that's true and that's real um, has us form a much stronger connection to it. Yeah. I can see also how that builds a sense of camaraderie. So, yes, I got my quota and I get his thing about, you know, you spend your time if you've already reached your quota helping somebody else get up the curve. You're much more likely to do that if you actually know that person's working for something that's real. Oh, 100 percent. And I, you know, I even feel that as a CEO now you know, with my team when we're talking about compensation, when we're talking about bonuses, commission, et cetera, um, when it's actually tied to something real and that you can really understand why it matters versus it seeming like about being about ego or about being a game. It really changes the dynamic of that relationship. You really root for them and you go out of your way to find ways to ensure they're successful. 
Okay. All right. Now, the other thing you said is that for CEOs who start to lead with purpose, it's about overcoming fear. Say a little more about what you mean by that. Well, I think purpose, when you're you're working with purpose, you're working authentically and you're putting your full self out there. Um, You're um, acting with courage around saying that um, we need to do things differently or we need to do things in a certain way and not always being able to be able to back that up. There is a bit of a leap of faith that goes with that, and there's a vulnerability that's required to do that. So it requires constantly sort of putting yourself out there for failure and for rejection and ridicule. Um, and I've rarely heard a case of someone where that didn't pay off, but it does take that, take that moment to sort of step forward and to have, as you said, the cynics come forward and say, no, you can't do that or that won't work. Um, or for the market to say, but we need to see quarterly earnings and this is something that's only going to pay off longer term, et cetera. It takes that, it takes that jump to really mm-hmm. uh, focus in on purpose because purpose can be about short-term things like we talked about with sales commissions, but a lot of the time it's about thinking longer term. Uh, and that, you know, in modern society is something that is pretty risky. Okay. Just to, to make sure we're all on the same page, do you have a working yeah. definition of what you mean by when you say leading with purpose, working with purpose? So to me, it's about, first and foremost, the easiest way to say it is to being true to who you are and your values and being working towards the world you want to create and to be a part of. Um, that to me is what I see a purpose-driven leader. Um, they are leading from that place of courage around wanting everything they do to be moving towards the world that they want to live in, they want their kids to live in, they want their employees to live in, um, versus acting in a more traditional model, which is more around, you know, it is more around fear, it is more around accumulation of wealth, um, it's more around business objective versus um, really being a process of creation. Okay. All right. I can see how and why that. So that that whole notion that it's a process of creation, that I'm creating a space yep. that I'm proud of, in effect, that I want to be a part well, of, I really that like I value. Nancy Green's yeah. point of view about. You know, thinking about opportunities versus managing downsides. Yeah, you think about yeah. a lot of Wall Street, you think a lot of the business community, it's very focused on managing downsides and yeah. risk tolerance versus right. seeing the world as a world of abundance and figuring out how to you know, really take that abundance and turn it into something that um, serves the people you care about. Okay. All right. Now, you said that for Bill, when he was in yep. the sales organization, they exceeded quotas in the year that he started this. So incredibly yeah, he successful. Told me that they never, that they made they made quota as a team every single year that he was managing sales. Okay, fabulous. How about as a CEO? Just Has a this translated? <laughs> yes, it is a dream. Right. That's not unusual. As a CEO, has he seen purpose have an impact on the bottom line for SAP? Um, I mean, SAP I think has been doing you know very well in a very competitive market. Um, I think they've seen purpose really help them differentiate in terms of hiring. I think it's helped to bring energy to the organization that's been around for a long time. You know, for a long time, you know, SAP or an Oracle, these companies were innovative and considered cutting edge, but they're now sort of the dinosaurs of their industries. So they need that reinvention. I think purpose really helped create that to re-energize and to bring uh, a sense of hope and a sense of um, importance um, to to the work for the employees. So it's. I mean, I think it's definitely made an impact from a morale standpoint. And as you said, it's hard to find someone at SAP who doesn't talk about that in their first couple of sentences about the company. Yeah, I got that one. So do you see this um, play out in terms of engagement? I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but has it changed SAP's engagement levels? I don't have the data on that, Wanda, to be honest with you. So I don't okay. want to – I mean, I've heard uh, anecdotally, yes, but I, I, I couldn't speak to it with authority in terms of the data. Yeah. 
you would expect, given if it's changed the morale and if it's changed the recruiting. Okay, now I'm also intrigued by what you said about Bill McDermott, that he found that no one solution works, that he had to listen and use different scripts in different places. Can you explain that a tiny bit more? Sure, no, absolutely. So I think with what, what tends to happen is you, for people who are successful, you early on in your career find a script that you're working on that you get rewarded for and that you find, like, if I just repeat the script over and over again, I will continue to find success. And that works well until your second job. <laughs> when you realize when you apply that same script, it doesn't have the same results because you're operating under a different culture, you're operating with different people, you may be operating in a different business. And I think what he found as he was moving from Xerox to SAP and as he was working with different parts of the SAP organization was that unless he would adapt to each of those different groups and really understand what script works for them, he wasn't able to get that kind of engagement that we were just talking about. He wasn't able to really inspire them in the same way. And that it took building, I think for him, so I don't know how much you know about the story of Bill McDermott, but he actually, um, not too long ago, lost uh, his sight um, and is no longer sort of... Um, he, he's no longer able to sort of operate as you know a typical person on the street can as a result of that. And I think going through that also just really helped him develop an incredible sense of empathy and to realize truly that you, know, you can't all operate off the same script because just the simple fact that he was sight impaired changed the nature of how he had to relate to the world. And he talked mm-hmm. to me a lot about how that changed how he approached you know, people because he realized unless you really know what's going on with someone, unless you really understand their situation, you can't really... Um, find ways to to work with them in a powerful way that achieves you know the kind of breakthrough results he was used to. So I think that right. was a really a big part of this sort of philosophy around sticking to a script. Um, I think when okay. you stick to a script, at the end of the day, what you're saying is that you're not operating out of empathy. You're sort of working off of um, a set way of doing things, and it removes right. the flexibility or removes the ability right. to really build an inclusive culture. Right. I'm on this mission to get everybody to understand that empathy is not about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Because when I put the pers- myself in the other person's shoes, I see the world the way I would see it if I am them. <laughs> and that isn't the empathy. Empathy is about understanding how they see the world from their shoes, even if it's not how yep. I would see it. And that's exactly what you're telling with the um, with Bill McDermott. Can you give a couple of examples of the kind of um, strategies or tactics or ways in which SAP has created a sense of purpose in different parts of the organization? Well, I think that one of the things that I really was inspired by is they've done a lot of work around using AI to help figure out how to remove discrimination from the hiring process. Mm-hmm. So okay. they realized that they were discriminating in their hiring um, based on things they weren't, they weren't doing it intentionally, but they just found that that was something they were actually doing um, just based on the way people are pre-wired to discriminate. Um, and by making assumptions. And they really, he, under his leadership, really invested a lot in trying to figure out where those biases were showing up and everything from, you know, reviewing resumes to the screening, et cetera. And mm-hmm. first built out technology internally to try to neutralize that bias and then, you know, turn that into a product. And I don't know how um, the current sales of that are going, but there was a lot of initial incredible interest in that solution because so everyone, all of us know that at the end of the day, we have bias and we bring that with us and we don't want to bring that bias in a way that's unfair to others and to actually be able to use technology to neutralize that is incredibly powerful. And I think it's one of the great promises of technology and where technology is um, better than human beings because human beings are pre-wired neurologically to have all kinds of uh, <laughs> um, 
errors in terms of how they judge and how they assess people. And technology can actually be much, has a much better job of being able to look at things apples to apples. Right. So that would be one right. example that I thought was, um, was pretty compelling. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Um, before, we've talked about this on the show before, but the original bit about this notion of using AI was inspired by an orchestra conductor who was would have sworn that he was unbiased in, listening, in judging who was a good person to join yep. the orchestra. And they persuaded him to do a screened interview so that you couldn't see the person. And lo and behold, the selection changed. So that has inspired lots of people to look at ways in which we uh, anonymize the initial selection process and hiring. Okay, so you've talked about Bill McDermott. You've talked about Nancy Green at Athleta and focusing on the opportunity rather than the downside or the risk. Anyone else that really strikes you as a CEO who's done amazing things? Well, I think living here in the Seattle, I'm a big fan of Jerry Stritsky, who's the CEO of REI, which is sort of the, mm-hmm. it's the largest co-op I think, um, in the United States, and it's a co-op that focuses on selling, you know, outdoor gear um, for folks and has been incredibly successful in that business model, which is a very rare, rare business model. And it's funny, he actually came out of luxury goods. I think he was at, I want to say he was a coach beforehand. So I was sort of surprised to see him landing at REI. And what really struck me about how he leads with purpose is it really, time after time, he talks about how he spends time with his frontline staff, not with the executive team, and mm-hmm. how he really tries to get to understand who they are. So every time he comes to town, he you know, grabs a bunch of people from the store and they go for a hike or they go for a bike ride um, to do something. He really wants to understand what's really going on um, on the front lines and not have it translated through PowerPoint slides and analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way he finds that he can really stay sort of authentic and real as a leader. And I think that, mm-hmm. that, to me, is really powerful. I think very few CEOs really do that. There's that whole TV show, Undercover Boss, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. popularized this idea of sort of the, the CEO by undercover and seeing what's really going on. And I think he's built a culture where that's just part of the day-to-day of how he operates. And I think that's incredibly rare. And most consultants would say that's a waste of time. You can get that information in more efficient ways, et cetera. But I think he has to have that shared experience with them and to really hear firsthand um, what's going on. And I just really admired that about him. And one thing he said, which I really loved, is that um, wherever he goes around the world, he picks up river rocks and he puts them in his pocket and he keeps those in his pocket even when he's in the office. And anytime he feels like he's maybe becoming sort of detached from reality, he puts his hand in his pocket and feels for the rocks and rubs them and it sort of brings him back to center. And I think that's a really, we talked earlier about overcoming fear. I think that's a wonderful sort of psychological trick is to create some kind of um, trigger that reminds you um, of a certain mindset um, and bring okay. you back to where you want to be. Okay. All right. And he, was, I mean, Incre- he had that great yeah, innovation ahead. around their, their uh, instead of the Black Friday, turning it into a day when they actually closed the REI store. And a lot of that came from insights from actually talking to, you know, talking and hanging out with the people who actually work in the stores. And that's been one of the biggest innovations in retail in the last in five years. Right, I don't know this story. They closed the store on Black Friday? Yeah, so um, a lot of employees were complaining about you know, not being able to be with family the day after Thanksgiving and how um, it was really not aligned with their values as an organization. And he just had the chutzpah to say, let's just close and let's turn it into a day where we just encourage everyone to stop shopping and instead go out in the mountains and enjoy wilderness um, instead. So they shut the store down and uh, got a lot of coalition partners together to set up events where people could, instead of going shopping, um, actually go out and enjoy each other and enjoy nature. 
And the great thing about it is like their overall seasonal sales actually were higher as a result, not lower. So it was a really like incredible breakthrough. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see that relating see to their target market as well. Be, I've um, yeah, done some work with REI. Employees. Yeah. Yep. And I can say that they really do believe that get out and do things with each other, that that is kind of steeped in the, a bit of the culture. And I guess supposedly yeah, coming yeah, from Jerry. Whenever I shop there, I, I'm always surprised by the people who work there. How oft, I feel like there is often trying to convince me not to buy something as to buy it, which is okay. pretty refreshing. Okay. <laughs> That's a great me, story. It makes me trust them because then I realize when they say something, they actually they mean it and they're actually looking out for my best interest, not just trying to hit a sales quota. Okay. All right. Very good. All right, Aaron, we're going to take a break. With me today is Aaron Hurst. Um, Aaron is CEO of Imperative and founder of the Taproot Foundation. He's also Fast Companies, the author of Fast Companies Purposeful CEO Series. And you can find Aaron in all sorts of places talking about leaders who have done a great job with creating a sense of purpose. I just want to repeat the sense of purpose, leading with purpose, is about the courage to do things differently, about putting your full self out, even with all the fears of being ridiculed or rejected, and being true to who you are, your values, creating a world you want to live in, that you want your kids to live in, and you want your employees to live in. So that becomes a process of creation, of abundance, rather than a process of managing the downside and the risk. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to get tactical and focus about teams. Why does this matter with teams and what can we do to make teams more effective around the sense of purpose and engagement? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Aaron Hurst. Aaron is CEO of Imperative, I can hardly speak, and the author of The Purpose Economy. He's also written for all sorts of journals, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg TV, and the author of Fast Company's Purposeful CEO Series. We've just been talking about CEOs who take the courage to lead with purpose. And I want to repeat Aaron's definition of that. It means the courage to do things differently 
to put your full self out with all the risk of ridicule and rejection and cynicism and so forth, being true to who you are, to the values you have, and trying to create the world you want to live in, you want your kids to live in, you want your employees to live in, and then having the courage to act on that as a process of creation. And we've been talking about three CEOs who have made that a commitment. I also note that it's not that there's a single slogan for the company it's a matter of finding a way of engaging different groups within the company to help them uncover their own way for a sense of purpose. Now, did I say that correctly, Aaron? No, absolutely. I think it's about that intersection between, you know, what is the purpose of the organization and then what is the purpose of each individual? And ideally, you're operating within, the, within that intersection um, where your personal purpose is feeding the organizations and that they're feeding off of each other. Um, and that's really where you see the magic happen. Okay. All right. I get that one. Okay, so let's talk about teams for a minute. Um, I want to focus on team performance and team dynamics. And I just want to ask the question, when the team has a sense of purpose, what does it do to the team? Oh, I, don't even, I don't even know where to begin with that one, Wanda. Um, <laughs> I think the most important issue or variable that research from you know, a thousand different sources points to is psychological safety. Um, that for a team to perform, the baseline, the foundation of it is that there's psychological safety, that people feel comfortable bringing their full selves to the group, that they're willing to ask questions, they're willing to come up with ideas, they're not scared of ridicule. Um, that's critical to a high-performing team. And when you're able to lead with purpose and bring a sense of purpose to a team and be able to really understand the purpose of each person on that team, you um, have all the sort of key ingredients you need to really create the psychological safety necessary for that team to, to thrive. So I think that's sort of at that baseline um, we'll sort of go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is teams where there's a clarity of what you're doing and why you're doing it um, are much more likely to, you know, perform um, because they have the motivation and they have the clarity. And purpose brings both of those when it's done effectively. So that combination of the psychological safety um, combined with this ability to know, you know, what are we doing and why are we doing it um, really combines to create a really powerful ecosystem for a team. Okay. Sounds incredible. And do you find on teams that purpose and engagement are closely related? Um, so I'm not a fan of engagement as a concept. Um, it actually is something that comes out of, I think, a long, a long history of thinking about work where the thought is that work itself is not something that's desirable. It's something you sort of put up with. And it's a very uh, management-heavy uh, perspective on work. What we look at much more is the idea of fulfillment. Um, are people fulfilled? And that's really based on, you know, the strength of their relationships. You know, are they making an impact and do they feel like they're growing? And purpose really is an incredible catalyst of all three of those areas within a team. Um, because once you have clarity of purpose, it's much easier to have strong relationships. Uh, it's much easier to make an impact that matters to you. And once you understand your purpose on the teams, you know where to invest to grow because you have uh, a motivation to want to grow to be able to achieve that purpose more effectively. So incredible, you know, connection there. I think more importantly for a, you know, traditional business business person, I think Bain did this study, it was last year, and they found that employees that are inspired are 125% more productive. So if you think about that, Wanda, as a leader, hiring one uh, inspired employee is worth more than hiring two satisfied employees. And <laughs> just the pure economics of that is like so... Like it's so blaringly clear, um, and that you know engagement is too low a bar. We need inspired, fulfilled employees, and purpose is really what enables that to happen. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for people we care about, and that's the bar we should have for everyone we work with. 
So I just want to repeat that. Hiring one inspired employee is worth two satisfied employees. And that inspired employees are 125% more productive, at least according to Bain. I love that one. What a great insight on this one. And in your experience, the sense of purpose is what creates the inspiration. Because I know what I'm doing, where I'm going, where I put my energy, how I'm going to have an impact, how I build the relationships, and so on. Fair? So purpose is absolutely the core of that. There's two things that the Bain study found that are very consistent with what we've seen. They said one source of inspiration is when you feel like my personal purpose is aligned with the organization's. Um, that creates a sense of inspiration. So a purposeful leader, a purposeful CEO is building an ecosystem where the organization's purpose is very clear, but they're helping each individual link to that purpose with their own personal purpose. Because unless you have a clarity on your own purpose, you can't understand and experience that linkage. So that's the first you know, driver of inspiration. The bigger, more important one um, their research found was uh, having a leader, usually your direct manager, who inspires you. Um, and that inspiration comes largely from them being authentic and real, um, for them pushing you and challenging you. Um, and those are all about purpose as well. So if your manager, your leader has clarity of their purpose and is able to operate with that, they're much more likely to be inspiring to the people on their team, which is what's going to produce that, that higher productivity rate as well as the higher okay. psychological safety. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So let's take this out of the conceptual realm and drag it down into the very practical realm. I like to yep. ultimately get to, so how do I do this? What does this really look like in practice? So let's say I'm a team leader. Let's say I've got 10 direct reports, and maybe there's a few underneath that. So we've got a group of 30 to 40. What do I do to begin this whole journey to lead with purpose? Where do I start? Well, I think it always starts with yourself, right? So try to really focus on being self-aware about the fact that um, Work can be meaningful and understanding what your purpose is and what the changes that you want to make in the world, how is it you want to show up, um, and really being clear on that. And there's a lot of different ways of going about doing that. And you can do personal reflection. You can work with an executive coach. Imperative offers a platform that makes it really easy um, to do that in a very quick uh, online way. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to get at that. But really having that clarity about what is my purpose, how do I want to show up with that, what do I believe in, um, is really that first step because it's hard to build purpose on a team if you yourself um, aren't authentic to that. The okay. second step we recommend is to really look at everyone on your team and see the superhero that's inside each of them. Everyone, in my mind, is a superhero, but most of them have no idea what their superhero powers are and therefore never really develop them to really realize their potential and fully work with purpose. Uh, I loved uh, Tara Russell, who's the CEO of Fathom, which is a um, part of a, the cruise industry, does uh, purpose-driven cruises, I loved how she worked with her team to really identify, like, with each person, she very literally said, you know, this is your superhero power. Let me help you, you know, develop that. And she actually saw more in people than they saw in themselves. So as a leader of that team, look around the table and just spend some time trying to figure out, even if it's not well-developed yet, like, what is that superhero power of each person in your team and how to help them see that and help to create a development plan around that. The next piece is really... How do you create a psychological safety on the team by having everyone feel that they are valued, um, that they have a contribution, but also enabling them, you know, and this is a little bit of a cliche, but enabling them to really fail, to experiment and to try things because learning and growth is mostly by doing, not by reading. Um, so how do you actually create opportunities for people to be able to really push their superhero powers to the limit and see, see how far they can take them out? So that's sort of the third thing I recommend. 
The fourth is just cultivating curiosity. An awful lot of people um, find a core source of their innovation of purpose is around just being constantly curious, always asking the question, what if, or what if we tried it like this, or um, how could we do this differently, or is there a better way? Um, what if we tried applying this model to this other model? What would happen then? It's that constant curiosity, and figure out how you can model that for your team, um, but then also you know, challenge people to be curious. And the final thing, Wanda, the fifth thing, is really celebrating inspiration. Um, my favorite example, this is more around parenting, which is a lot of people when their kids come home from school sort of ask, what did you learn today? Um, and that's really in a lot of ways the wrong question. The real question is what inspires you today? And to have people regularly on your team sharing things that um, inspired them, motivated them, uh, and that that actually brings this culture of abundance forward and creates um, you know, the psychological safety necessary for a team to flourish. Okay. I like that idea, having teams say what inspired you today. I know you did that with kids, but I think what a great way to say at the end of the week, what inspired you this week. Yeah, you can do it. A, we do a weekly lunch with our team, and that's often the topic. Or, you know, a lot of technology companies, including ours, do stand ups every morning, and it's a great sort of morning icebreaker. What, what inspired you yesterday? What's one thing that, like, really, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. made you stand up a little straighter, um, made you want yeah. to work a little harder? I remember working with. Often yeah, we, we don't think about it. We, until you get used yep. to thinking about it, you don't recognize it. I remember working with one leader once where the morale on the group was pretty low. They were in pretty tough situation and dealing with some yep. hard demands. Um, and I ha- I suggested that they do an appreciation Friday. Yep. So just the end of a hard week, who do I appreciate for whatever they did this week? And it's not all that different than what inspired you, but it just gets that positive energy going that in the midst of all of this, something in here was actually really quite useful. Yeah, I think especially if you do it, the, when it backfires is when it feels forced uh, yes. or when it's sort of too top down. So the ability for people to state, you know, authentically, you know, what inspired them, what they're appreciative for and of, I think the ones that I've seen really <laughs> backfires when it's sort of forced appreciation of others and it starts to become really political about yeah. who says what about whom and did that yeah. person get enough appreciation and there's a lot of yeah. uh, paternalistic impulse that happens as well. So it's really trying to find that ability for people to express themselves without having to have other people talk about right. them. Right. Well, and presumably that's the same thing about inspiration as well. Okay, so let's go back to that. I want to mm-hmm. repeat for everybody. Your five steps are really starting with yourself, understanding what is it that makes work meaningful for you. What are you trying to create? Yep. What are you trying to change? And reflecting on that. And you said you can reflect on it. You can work with a coach. You can do some journaling about it. Or Imperative offers a lovely, I will add, online assessment <laughs> that helps you get started with it. Um, then there's a look at the team and see the superhero qualities in each person of the team and help them see that for themselves and develop that plan for developing it. The third step is creating psychological safety. So it's okay to push the limits, to fail, to experiment, to challenge, to say the controversial thing without, there's no repercussions for doing that. So that's a big concept and easier said than done. The third is to cultivate (laughs) curiosity. So people are asking, what if? And the last one is to celebrate what inspires you. Okay. So now, as I'm starting with myself, um, I want to, let's say, do some reflections on what it is that gives me a sense of meaning and purpose. How do I be, like, give me some guidelines, some questions to ask, some something to start with, because that sounds very ambiguous if I haven't been down this journey before. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways to, to go at that one. I think one 
just a very simple one, which uh, uh, someone shared with me a couple of years ago, is just at the end of each day, just reflecting on was today a good day and what made it a good day? And if you do that over the course of several weeks, you'll start to see patterns emerge about what really makes your work meaningful for you as a really powerful way to start to understand that for yourself. <laughs> and it's something you can do for your team as well. Um, the way that we've done it at Imperative, we've really worked to identify the psychological drivers of purpose and why some people get purpose from one thing versus another person who might get purpose from something else. And there's a couple dimensions there that you can really you know, reflect on. And yeah, I know you know these well, Wanda, but you know, the first one is really yeah. around there's a psychological difference between people who um, need to feel like their work makes an impact at different levels. So let me explain what that means. Uh, roughly a third of people really need to feel like their work needs to impact individuals directly. They need to see that frontline impact of their work. Think of the doctor who you know, gains meaning from seeing a patient actually you know, uh, healed, um, able to recover from a challenge. Another third, roughly, really gain much more meaning from teams and organizations. They're much more the person who would want to build a hospital or manage a hospital, um, not be the doctor themselves. Um, they're all about the idea of creating these institutions that have a, you know, a larger ripple effect and um, last, <laughs> last a lot longer. And the final third are more at a societal level. They want to feel like their work is bigger than any one person or organization. They want to feel like they're part of something much bigger. And... You know, in this case, you think about healthcare as an example. This might be the person who is trying to figure out how do we re reduce the cost of healthcare overall, or how do we find a cure for, you know, a given disease. Um, there are people who are looking at sort of a much more macro view. And while we all get some meaning from each of those, being able to know which elevation you really derive the most meaning is incredibly important in building your self-awareness around what's going to bring meaning for you. So that's okay. sort of one area that would really encourage people to think about is like, what elevation do you find you gain the most meaning from? And what are the okay. implications of that? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I certainly see that in my own work. People who want to see that I did something that had an impact on another person. I want to look in their eyes and I want to see it one to one. And if I don't see it, I don't feel like what I've done has had meaning today. Whereas yeah, other hard. people have, yeah, completely, completely different model for that one. No, absolutely. Okay. And I, don't, I, I get a little bit of meaning from helping someone, but it really doesn't um, give me that, the goosebump moment. Um, for me, it has to be at more of that organizational or team level for me to really feel like I've made that impact. So it's okay. just, thank God we all exist because we need all three, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, all of the, I would argue that the societal differences are all built from a series of one-to-one -one individual differences in a variety of team differences. But okay, that's how I work but as well. <laughs> no, absolutely. And the other sort of variable that I would encourage folks to think about is we found there's these three different leadership styles and that when we think about purpose-driven leaders, we tend to only think about people who are impact-oriented, who are all about, you know, how do, we, how do we make an impact? And that is certainly a very important type of purpose-driven leader. But we also found that there are purpose-driven leaders who are much more values-driven. So many of the CEOs I've worked with, they wouldn't state that impact is really what drives them. What drives them is just always doing the right thing and always operating with integrity. And that, that actually is a source of purpose. It doesn't have to have you know, a cause behind it. It doesn't have to have an impact behind it. It's just simply acting with integrity and always going home feeling like you did the right thing in each of the challenges that you faced um, is an incredibly important style. Um, and then the third one is really around craft. An awful lot of people, their leadership around purpose is around doing the job well. 
Now, it may not be as much about the impact. It may not be as much about the values. It's about actually appreciating the journey over the destination and doing something really well, practicing your craft, um, helping others do that uh, is what derives your sense of power and leadership. So for folks thinking about, you know, what is, what is my purpose? Um, that's another categorization that could be really helpful for you is to think about, do I care more about asking the question, how do I make an impact? What is the right thing to do? Or how do I do this really well? And those have big implications for how you lead. Okay. I can see that one. That makes a lot of sense. So just to repeat for everybody, three different ways that you would define purpose in in effect, that purpose and meaning is derived from me by understanding how I have an impact, and that might be at the individual level, the organizational level, or the society level. Or I can say that my sense of purpose and meaning comes from being sure that I've done the right things, that I've made the right choices in some challenging situations, so more values-driven. And the third one is understanding that I want to do the job well. I really care about the craft and the, you said, the journey of developing the craft and of helping others to develop their skills and capability to do the job well. So impact, do the right thing, or do the job well. Okay. All right, Aaron. The journey piece is really important, I think, Wanda, because in our current business environment, we're generally rewarded to get to the finish line as fast as possible, and there's less and less emphasis on quality. And that has environmental implications. It has a lot of different implications, but it has a real human cost of doing that because for a lot of people, doing work that's not quality is actually like drains them of a sense of meaning and identity. Mm-hmm. And it's not simply about getting to the finish line. It's actually the craft of doing it. Think about a musician. It's not how fast can you complete the symphony. It's about doing it well. And too much of business is about finishing the symphony instead of actually playing it well. Why does that make a lot of sense? As I think about people, I see an awful lot of people in coaching who were doing two and three jobs, which means yep. that they're doing two and three jobs moderately average and only half in some ways. They can't yep. do them all really, really well. And if you're more craft driven, you were interested in doing the job well, that is just going to be draining because you feel like you're not doing anything well. Whereas yeah, if, you're even po- if you're making focused, a big impact, you don't feel good right, about it. Right, right. So it's not the speed. It's about the quality. Boy, does that have big impact for how we motivate and inspire and encourage people to find their own sense of meaning in the work that we're doing. Okay, Aaron, we've got to take a break. Um, with me today is Aaron Hurst. Aaron is CEO of Imperative, which is an organization that has developed a very clever way of helping people understand the psychological dimensions that drive their sense of purpose. He's also the founder of Taproot Foundation. We've been talking about what it is that individual leaders of teams can do at a small scale level to create a sense of purpose. And the number one thing is it starts with understanding your own sense of purpose and then turns to help the individual members understand something about their superhero qualities and then goes on from there. And we've just been talking about the ways in which you can begin to think about your own sense of purpose. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little more philosophically about this one and about the heritage, how we got to this place of caring so much about purpose. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Aaron Hurst. And as I've said before, Aaron is CEO of Imperative. And the book that Aaron has written on all of this work is called The Purpose Economy. Highly recommended. Um, I just want to repeat a couple of things that really struck me from the last segment. The first off is when I have an inspired employee, they're going to be 125% more productive than a satisfied employee. In fact, maybe two to one productive or two to one value from being inspired. And that would get us to cause to stop and say, what is it that really becomes inspiring? And among all the things that drive inspiring, one of those is a sense of the work that I'm doing is having meaning for me. We talked about how to create meaning for teams, but the meaning for teams starts with understanding what creates meaning for me. If I don't understand that, then I'm going to have a hard time helping others find what creates meaning for them. Aaron's given a couple of ways of beginning of that. One is to say at the end of every day, what was good about this day and why was it so? What made the work meaningful? Look over that over a period of weeks and months and you'll start to see some patterns in what gives you a sense of meaning. The second one I think that is most important in the foundation of imperatives work is this notion that there are people derive purpose from three different ways. One is about having impact. Two is about being able to do the right thing. And third is about being able to do the job well. Now, there are different levels of impact, and so for the others as well. But that's an important distinction as you're beginning to think about your own. What may gives me the most sense, the impact, doing the right thing, the values when faced with challenges, or doing the job well, quality. All right, so Aaron, let's turn for a minute philosophical. So purpose sure. is a really hot topic. Everybody's talking about it. There's lots of different approaches. Um, we've done a number of people on this radio show with different definitions, and I people get confused on mission, vision, values, social impact, meaning, purpose, corporate social responsibility, and probably by next month we'll have five more words to define the same thing. <laughs> And they are sort of the same, and it all depends on how you define them, too, at the end of the day. Um, and there are some very old traditions and philosophies that are really around purpose. A Sufism, for one, or Buddhism, mm-hmm. for another. I learned today that it's the Dalai Lama's birthday today, for those who mm-hmm. follow such things. Happy birthday. Um, 
Yes, indeed. So talk a little bit about your traditional heritage and how does this all come together for you and your understanding of what gets a sense of purpose? Yeah, it's a very, um, it's in some ways the most, the simplest of ideas and at some level the most complex of ideas. For me, a lot of it came from, you know, culture. Uh, I'm of Jewish descent, but I was raised in a Tibetan Buddhist community um, in the U.S. Um, and was, you know, spent most of my childhood in that community. And both of those traditions have, you know, a strong, uh, a strong sense of what one's role in the world ought to be. And what's interesting about both of them is they build in paradox um, into them because I think purpose itself is when you really get at it, you know, a paradox. So in the Jewish community, there's the idea of repairing the world. Um, that is sort of seen as one of the core tenets of the responsibility, you know, of every member of the tribe is how do we, how do we repair the world? Um, which the phrase itself is incredible because it's about, um, the fact that we have a responsibility to make the world better and to return it to you know a place where it is actually um, a source of healing and a source of value for you know everyone and everything that um, is in the world. But at the same time, it's not a goal you could ever achieve, right? Like Wanda, you're never going to fully be able to repair the world. Like that's never a satisfying goal because it is such a large goal. So in that, there's this sort of paradox of try to try to do something impossible. Um, and um, you're probably going to, you're going to fail, but it's the effort of trying that actually, that matters. And in the Buddhist tradition, there's this uh, bodhisattva vow, um, and I'll, I'll share that with you. It's, although beings are num- numberless, I vow to save them all from suffering. I vow not to attain enlightenment until all beings are free from suffering. So very similar to this idea of repair the world. It's, we all agree, like, we would like to have a world where there is no suffering and that we all believe we should work to, you know, stop suffering and that we should never give up on that. But at the same time, that's not a goal that will ever be achieved. Much like we'll never repair the world, we will never, you know, save everyone from suffering. Um, but I think it's, as human beings, we have this quest um, to, to always try and to be able to see a better world, um, to see a better reality for other people, and to be able to take that leap of faith of saying, even though I may not be able to you know, fully get there, it's worth trying. And to me, that's what you know, a lot of this work that I do is about, is you know, I realize that I'm never going to enable every human being to you know, embrace purpose, um, but I'm, you know, I'm never going to stop trying. I'm never going to stop trying to help people really become awakened and really understanding who they are and what their superpower is. Because to me, the only way to repair the world, the only way to sort of, um, save people from suffering is by helping people first know who they are and to own um, you know, the decisions they make in their life every day. Yeah. So how did you, Aaron, come to discover that that was your sense of purpose? Was your way of repairing the world was to help people know who they are and have their own sense of meaning? Uh, we need probably several more hours for that, Wanda. But, yeah. um, you know, I think high level, my mother, after my parents' divorce, became um, very depressed and largely bedridden for much of my childhood and really saw her struggle to um, have the courage to sort of get out there and to truly be, be herself and to care for her, her family. And I think that really, as a child, was very painful for me um, and saw that her lack of ability to, to muster that, that courage um, was you know incredibly sad to see her suffer through that and to see the impact on me and my siblings and I think subconsciously I began to develop my purpose which was really around you know through through thousands of other people trying to experiment with how could I have helped her get out of bed how could I have helped her sort of spring back to life and 
that has really been the core of my my work ever since, is really just helping people uncover you know who they truly are and to help them realize they are they're worth it that they are superheroes and that the world needs them out of bed and out there kicking ass. I love that. Out of bed and out there kicking ass. They really are superheroes. That's great. It's a very interesting metaphor you use as in how could I have helped her spring to life with this sense Mm -hmm. that purpose and meaning is a sense of springing to life, of inspiration. We've talked about this along the way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think most of the time what we do in our lives actually is slowly just killing us instead of actually generating life for us. And I actually wrote recently about you know, this whole uh, new science around the idea of moral injury. And it's usually around soldiers and how when soldiers return from battle, they have uh, moral injury because they've done things that they don't necessarily believe are the right things to do. And I think on a much smaller scale, when we have leadership that's not purpose-driven, people are being asked to do little things every day that just slowly eat away at their soul. It slowly eat away at what they believe in and who they are. And that over time, that's what's building so much of the anxiety in our culture. It's what's building so much of the um, I think unhealthy habits that we all see around us. And if we can just find a way to work with a strong moral compass, to work in a way in which um, we really are awakened, uh, we can really reduce the amount of moral injury and instead be you know, pumping you know, lifeblood into people um, through them actually doing things that they feel proud of doing. Okay. Sounds like um, an incredibly inspiring way to work in that this is a noble cause. Um, I can see your heritage tradition there of repair the world in many ways. It's great. So I'm a little stunned that what an incredible way to end the show, but at the end we are. So my guest today is Aaron Hurst. Aaron is CEO of Imperative, and he's the founder of Taproot Foundation. The book, if you're interested in reading more of the foundations, is about purpose economy. I can also tell you that Imperative as an organization has a very lovely assessment that helps people begin this journey of uncovering where it is that I want to Um, drive meaning in the world, whether that's through having impact, whether that's through values and doing the right thing, or whether that's through craft and being able to do things well. And there's much more to it than that, but that's certainly a very good starting point. And I want to come back to something you said at the very, very beginning, Aaron, which I think is really important. This notion to be able to lead organizations with purpose, which lead my team with purpose, starts with my own self-journey. And that purpose is the courage to do things differently, to be true to who you are, to your values, and the process of creating the world you want to live in. So a creative process, a world for you, for your kids, and for your employees. Aaron, thank you for being a guest. Absolute pleasure. Thanks okay, a lot. And join us. Thank you, Aaron. Join us next week for another episode on how to get out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.